Welcome to Wisdom Wednesdays, and today I want to talk about protein and amino acids. There's a lot of focus that has been placed historically in our diet on fats and carbohydrates, particularly uh, with the health problems that we have, the obesity crisis, diabetes, all of this. And I think there has been a disproportionate amount of focus on fats and carbohydrates. And we need to rebalance this by thinking about proteins and the essential amino acids and other amino acids, actually. So from a, if we just look at it from a, a big level perspective, right, there are over 20 known fatty acids in the diet, three of which are essential. Um, alpha linoleic acid, which you get from plants, and then EPA and DHA, which you get from animal foods, mostly fish, right? And the conversion of ALA to EPA and DHA is pretty poor, which is why if you're having a vegetarian diet, you're going to struggle with those essential fatty acids, right? Then we have our amino acids. So dietary amino acids, um, there's 21 of them. You may have heard there's 20. That's just because the 21st was recently discovered and many textbooks haven't updated it. But of those 21, nine are what's called essential amino acids. That means that we must get them from the diet because we cannot make them just like those essential fatty acids. Um, and then we ha also have what's called conditional amino acids. Um, there's another eight of these. These are amino acids that actually become essential in times of stress or illness. So in certain times, 17 of the 21 amino acids um, um, can be essential or at least conditionally essential. And when we think about carbohydrates, there are no essential carbohydrates, absolutely none. You can actually live for decades um, with no carbohydrates in your diet whatsoever. But you will not last very long if you don't have any fatty acids in your diet and if you don't have any amino acids in your diet. Um, so that should say something really about the relative importance of these things. But if we're getting on, getting back to protein, the way that it works is that um, we intake protein uh, and that is broken down into those essential amino acids. And I want you to think of, in terms of, of how protein is used in your body, just think of a sink with the, the plug taken out and the tap turned on, right, um, at, at a low level. So it's run, the, the water's constantly running in and it's coming out. So you've got some in there, you know, there's enough water coming in. And that's kind of like um, amino acids in our body. Um, we eat the protein that breaks it down to the amino acids and those amino acids are, are used and often amino acids are broken down, what we call muscle turnover, and we recycle those amino acids. But if we eat too much, uh, protein and we have an excess of amino acids and um, that is just broken down uh, in the body and, and excreted. So there is no storage pool. This is what I'm getting at. There is no storage pool in the body for amino acids, unlike um, carbohydrate, which we can store as glycogen and, and we can store fats. We actually cannot store um, amino acids in the body once we ha have actually used them all in terms of their, their, our, our day-to-day -day needs. So that really tells you that uh, protein is essential in the diet um, 
almost on a daily basis. And um, yes, you can go for a little while without it, but your body is going to start to break down. And this is why. All of your cells will use amino acids. Amino acids are actually the building blocks of life. There are these organic compounds that are the building blocks of life. So if you do not have them, your body will start to break down and it breaks down at a cellular level, right? So that's a kind of a large, big picture overview of protein and amino acids. Now let's dig into the weeds a little bit. So now I want to introduce you to the concept of the protein leverage hypothesis, right? So there's a little bit of backdrop to this. Um, I think it was 1985, there's an Australian researcher called Susanna Holt. Um, she actually cre created the satiety index, um, which basically measures how much um, a, a food uh, actually satisfies your hunger. Um, so it turns out that high protein foods um, tend to be, have very high satiety index. So you eat them and you feel full, right? Um, potatoes are another one, actually, that has a very high satiety index, um, as do oats. Um, and some fruits um, have high satiety index because they got lots of fiber and they got lots of water in it. But protein-based um, foods tend to be very high in the satiety index. And then um, there's a couple of researchers um, um, from Australia, led by um, Professor David Robinheimer, um, who created um, this whole idea of the protein leverage hypothesis. So this hypothesis um, states that, that um, human beings and other animals will prioritize the consumption of protein in the food over other dietary components. And they'll eat until their protein needs, needs have been met, um, regardless of the energy content of foods, right? And, and this hypothesis is saying that um, because protein is, has become relatively lower in our diet over the years and, and has been, and we've been eating more carbohydrates and more fats, but not more protein, that this is behind, uh, or certainly a big driver behind um, the obesity epidemic that we find this in. So um, over many, many years of research, um, Robin Hyber and, and his colleagues, they um, studied the eating habits of a whole range of animals. Um, so mink, mice, fish, birds, insects, um, monkeys, cats and pigs um, to see um, whether there was a pattern in the diet. And what they actually showed is that all of those animals exhibit this dominant appetite for protein. So if you feed them high-carb foods um, that's low in protein, um, they will keep eating the high-carbohydrate foods um, until they get enough protein in their diet. And this Oh, uh, increases how much energy they consume and, and actually leads to weight gain. Um, anybody notice those sorts of patterns in our diet? And increasing evidence suggests that this actually holds true for humans as well, um, that the amount of protein is really, really key um, in your diet in order um, for you to feel full and stop eating. So quick practical example on, on, on this um, if you eat a roughly, let's take 100 grams of steak, roughly 25 grams of protein, depending on the cut, 25 to 30 grams of protein. Um, but similarly, if you have 100 grams of lentils, they have around 20 grams of protein. 
But if you eat 100 grams of bread, depending on the type of bread, it's only got between 10 and 12 grams of protein. Um, And then if you eat potato chips, they've only got seven grams of protein. So you're going to be eating um, via this protein leverage hypothesis. It states that you would eat two to three times more bread um, and even more times more chips than protein, uh, sorry, than steak or lentils to reach um, that protein requirement because the protein is obviously lower in those foods. So Robin Haber's group actually tested this hypothesis um, in a study that was published in uh, the journal PLOS One. Uh, PLOS1. Um, and and it was the lead uh, author on the study was Alison uh, Gosby. And the title of the study is Testing Protein Leverage in Lean Humans, a Randomized Controlled Experimental Study. So what they did is, is they took a bunch of people, um, 22 lean subjects, um, and they studied o- over uh, three, four-day periods of in-house manipulation of their diet, right? Um, and this is a randomized control study where they're in-house. So this is the best design that we can actually get in terms of a nutritional study. So they were restricted to fixed menus in random order um, with 28 foods designed to be similar in in the palatability, availability, variety, and and sensory quality, right? So they were um, not having really appealing foods versus really dull foods. And and these different diets that they were fed provided either 10% of energy 15% of energy or 25% of energy. What the researchers found uh, was that when people were on the 10% protein diet, they consumed 12% more calories um, than the people on the 15% um, protein diet. And 70% of the extra calories that they consumed was in the form of snacking. And, and that supports the idea that protein keeps you fuller for longer and thereby reducing the need to graze, right? And there wasn't a big difference between the 15 and the 25% protein diet. So that key seems to be a minimum of 15% of the calories from protein. Um, And so why has the amount of protein that we are consuming uh, around the world, why has that decreased, particularly in Western countries over the years? Well, one um, answer is that protein is more expensive. Um, Everybody knows that protein is more expensive. And and Robinheimer and his colleagues uh, have examined um, the the relative amounts of protein, carbohydrate, and fat contents in 100 supermarket foods, and they have found a direct relationship between the protein content and the price, right? And and I have talked about this before when I talked about ultra-processed food, uh, particularly foods that are high in carbohydrate and processed oils, um, which are often byproducts um, of, of um, for instance, soybean oil to create soybeans, and then they use the oil, uh, the oils uh, are are basically left over. And lots of vegetable oils are like that. So this stuff is very cheap and it's very available. And that and high carbohydrate foods are more profitable. They're more profitable for the companies. They're more profitable for the supermarkets. And and therefore, they get better shelf space. Um, So that is a big reason why we are have relatively reduced levels of protein compared to years and years ago is this abundance of ultra-processed foods that are in our diet that are highly palatable um, and they're also cheap. And there's another theory, um, is that fruit and vegetables and grains now have lower 
amounts of protein than they used to do uh, because of higher levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, this might seem a little bit left field, uh, but Robinheimer and, and his uh, colleagues have actually investigated this. And they've shown that plants that are grown in, a, in an environment of high CO2 actually convert the extra CO2 into carbohydrate. And that lowers the protein to carbohydrate ratio. And and him and his team believe that then we have to eat more of these plant-based foods in order to reach our dietary protein requirements and actually then um, um, satisfy this protein leverage hypothesis. And this this theory is actually backed up. um, um, Experiments have shown that elevated levels of carbon dioxide can actually boost the carbohydrate content in plants by 30 to 40%. Um, and that is pretty damn significant. Now, there's also other observational evidence in humans to support this uh, protein leverage hypothesis. Um, so particularly if you look at the Inuit, um, so um, traditionally thought of as Eskimos, but their their proper name is the Inuit, um, who live up around the Arctic. Um, their traditional diet is 35% protein. Um, now that they have started adapting a more Western uh, diet that's high in carbohydrate, they're actually one of the most obese populations in the world. Uh, And look, you could probably poke a few holes in that study, but it does support this idea of the protein leverage hypothesis. Um, And the lead author of the study that I referenced, um, uh, Dr. Alison Gosby, um, she said, and I quote, counting calories is not enough to manage appetite and body weight. In the Western world where food is abundant, if you reduce your calorie intake but fail to reach your protein target, you will find it hard to resist hunger pranks, right? And I think this is very valuable advice. So what does this mean, right? What's the big so what of all of this? Um, there's one thing that we, 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 need, we need to think about, um, particularly as we get older, Um, we start to develop what's called anabolic resistance. So we become less efficient at at digesting and assimilating amino acids. Um, So we actually need to have more protein in our diet, not less protein in our diet as we actually eat. Okay, so what does this all mean for for all of us? Well, if you look at recommendations around protein intake, um, have traditionally been 0.8 grams per kilograms of body weight. It's really important to understand that these recommended daily intakes are set so that you don't develop a deficiency. Is that optimal? Absolutely not. And particularly when you understand how important amino acids actually are. Um, so lots of researchers who, who, who um, buy into this protein leverage hypothesis are saying we should be having 1.3 to 1.5 grams per kilograms of body weight, right? So if I take me at 80 kilos, that's 120 grams of protein per day. Now, this flies in the face um, of a, a lot of the food trends, particularly driven by um, vegans and vegetarians saying that we need to reduce our animal foods. And, and that then becomes problematic um, because we know that that, that the, the quality, the dietary quality of animal-based protein is much, much higher um, than, than it is in plant-based proteins. I'm not saying that you can't get enough from plants, but it is more difficult um, to get it um, high-quality protein from, from the diet. So leaving that aside, um, 
I recommend that you should be having um, 1.5 grams per kilograms of body weight uh, for protein um, spread throughout the day. And this is really, really important. And I think the big thing is we need to eat more protein at breakfast. So some researchers have suggested that you need to, in order to, to reach satiety, um, you need to get about um, two grams of the amino acid leucine, um, which generally comes from 25 to 30 grams of protein, right? Now, this all depends on your body weight. But for somebody like me, who's 80 kilos, uh, I should be getting at least 30 grams of protein if I'm eating three meals a day in those three meals, right? And particularly getting protein in at breakfast is really key. And lots of people have processed carbohydrates, breakfast cereals and stuff like that, that that are, that they're, they're just not getting anywhere near that amount of protein. And I think that drives uh, more hunger. So ensuring that you're getting adequate protein at each meal and particularly in breakfast um, is absolutely key. And remember that as you get older, you develop this anabolic resistance, which I will talk about in, in another one because it's interesting to dive into. Um, so maybe a little bit more. And actually researchers are saying as you get um, past your 50s and, and particularly into your 60s, you've got to increase um, the amount of protein in your diet quite significantly. Because when you don't, you develop sarcopenia. And particularly with that anabolic resistance, you're becoming efficient. So you lose muscle, you lose bone. And I've talked before about the myokines that are produced in our muscle and how basically this is medicine. Um, so when you lose muscle, you're losing this natural biological medicine from myokines. And we now know there's over 600 myokines, only about 60 of which we know what actually do, but they have very positive impacts on most of your organs, including your brain. So if you want to be healthy and you want to have a long health span, um, I think that we need to rethink um, the macronutrient focus and ensure that we are all getting adequate protein in our diet. And the last thing I'll say is kids, because they're growing, they have greater needs for protein. Um, so what's a safe upper limit? About two grams per kilogram of body weight. As long as you're not going way past that, you're not going to be having excessive protein. That's it from this week. Catch you next time. So that's a wrap for today's edition of the podcast. If you're enjoying it, please leave us a review as they really do help much more than you think. Remember to check out the show notes for today's episode and also remember to hit subscribe so that you get notified early of new releases of the podcast. See you next time.